This week on Ultra 64, we played Ogre Battle 64, and even though it's not the Shrek fighting game I was so craving, I'm still going to try and find some nice things to say about it. Welcome everybody to Ultra 64. This is the comprehensive Nintendo 64 podcast. My name is Steve Gutling. I am Tactical Master Woody Siskowski. Uh We are very excited to be joined this week by uh, the co-host of Square Roots, one of my very favorite podcasts out there, uh, Mr. John Brandon. Hello, John. Why, hello there. Oh, we're so happy to have you here. Thank you for making the time. We appreciate it. We figured like you know, your show is all about RPGs. It's not always necessarily square RPGs, but it's RPGs in general. And uh, we feel figure we needed some kind of expertise on this one because it's kind of a beast. Yeah, we're trying to play through, you know, or play a different game every week. Yes. And so when you start getting into these in-depth, you know, 80-hour RPGs, I feel like we can't really do it justice in our, we, in our format. We really can't. Uh, so, yeah, that is the basic premise for the show. We, uh, I also have a complete Nintendo 64 collection. Every week we play a different one chosen at random and uh, let you know how it is. So... <laughs> This week, the random wheel of chance has fallen on Ogre Battle 64, colon, person of a lordly caliber, <laughs> which is the most auspicious and, like, regal name for a video game I can think of. Like, that's pretty, that's a pretty great title. It's well, they, the the King's Quest games had a lot of uh, really good titles, too. Oh, did they? I, don't I know guess they were kind of pun- punny. Yeah. Like, air, mm. to, air Today, Gone Tomorrow. Oh, absence, okay. Absence makes the heart grow yonder, something like that. Yep. <laughs> okay. Uh, the perils of Rosella is not really a pun, but uh, yeah. Uh, what was that? What was five? I think that was the absence one, but I realized right, that wasn't yes, a pun after yes. I said it, so I apologize well, it for, is. <laughs> for creating the pun hype. And then it, it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a pun on fonder. Grow fonder. Right? Grow fonder. Go yonder. Okay. Uh, it's uh, I, mean, I don't know if that's a pun so much as words that sound like other words. It's wordplay at at most. At least it's wordplay. Okay. You know. I think you need to reevaluate your definition of wordplay. I have low standards for everything. You know this. Don't listen to this, Nicole. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> so this this is one of the very rare actual RPGs on the system. And it's the only one I think that's indisputably an RPG. Like, the, there's well, no other way Quest to Quest was an RPG. I mean, yeah, Quest was an RPG. Quest I met the bare, the daily nu- nutritional requirements <laughs> to qualify as an RPG. This, is, this one is definitely an RPG. Yeah. This is the closest thing that Nintendo has to a PlayStation RPG, I think. It really yeah, feels like, like a PlayStation RPG. The graphic graphical style is very similar yeah, to uh, yeah. something you see on PS1. And, yeah, go ahead. The uh, I th- this is related to the Tactics Ogre series, which has been on a, a lot of Sony systems. Although Ogre, mm. o- <clears throat> I will never say this correctly. <laughs> Ogre Battle, yeah, uh, there it is. Was... Ogle Battle is where you uh, <laughs> where you hit, hit fight peeping toms, right? <laughs> right. Brett, that... Ka- Brett Kavanaugh is the boss yeah. of that game. So this is a sequel in a long line of games. Uh, I th- not all of them have come to the United States or Canada. But uh, Ogre, Ma- Ogre Battle for the Super Nintendo certainly did. Mm. And that is uh, Ogre Battle March of the Black Queen. Yes. Sure. And I have the port on uh, PlayStation right here, which I'll hold up to the camera for, <laughs> to, for the viewing pleasure of our podcast listeners. 
Now, uh, I believe Tactics Ogre kind of spawned Final Fantasy Tactics. I think, um, oh gosh, his name is coming to me. Uh, not Itagaki. Uh, what's his name that worked on all these Tactics Ogre and then he did oh. Final Fantasy Tactics and Final Fantasy Twelve and... Uh, I'm- Blanking on the name. It's not Sakaguchi. It's uh... no. That's that's original Final Fantasy. Guy. Yeah. Hold on a sec. I can tell you. With <laughs> okay. Magic, we have magic we have. powers. With the power of the internet. And I can confirm that uh, you are right about that. Uh, so this is made by a company called Quest Corporation. And in the mid '90s, a lot of developers for this company jumped ship, went to Square, and started working on uh, Final Fantasy Tactics. And then eventually, Square bought the company outright. Uh, and so everybody works on tactics games for them. <laughs> Matsuno, that was the the name Matsuno. of Fishing for. Okay. Uh, so the art style has a, and you associate you know Final Fantasy Tactics with PlayStation, so it really does have a very PlayStationy look. And I think this might be one of the best looking games on the N sixty four. I'm gonna throw that out there. I like In terms the look of, of it. Design. Yeah. yeah, it's got a very like kind of storybook kind of quality to it, and I like. I don't. I. The thing that always stri- strikes me when I see these characters is they look like uh, Richard Scarry's little people. <laughs> or like, yeah, the, or the like, busy world the of busy ogre world. battle. Yeah, 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 exactly. They, it looks very, like, childlike. Uh, and I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm just saying it looks like they look like children's toys. Uh, but it, it's, it's an appealing art style. It's and it nice, really nice and it's colorful. I feel like the characters don't quite differentiate themselves from each other quite enough. There's a lot of blue hair and sort of big shoulders. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. Which there, which can be a little annoying, but... The downside compared with something like Final Fantasy Tactics or the Super Nintendo Ogre Battle is these are pre-rendered sprites, which is never my favorite look. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. But, like, they, they look really good, and they're animated very, very well. Mm-hmm. So and, I mean, this game is basically totally 2D, right? I mean, this is one of the few games we've play, played that is just... Yeah, despite it's, being on the N sixty four, it just says, "All right, we're doing a two D art style here," and it's just from an isometric standpoint. Yeah, and the isometric thing gives it like the illusion of depth. But yeah, they're not going for like fancy polygons or anything like that. They they keep it pretty simple, except for the map. <laughs> oh yes, yeah, that's right. You can uh, zoom in on the map, and you can get a little more. Uh, yeah, there's buildings. You can get some and terrain and everything and on that stuff than that. Uh, but they, yeah, they keep it super simple, and yeah. uh, I really like the design. So absolutely, can we learn about some of the backstory of Ogre Battle? Oh and man, I, there's something I want to touch on just because John's here because he's part of Square Roots, and uh, like I said, you guys don't do only Square podcasts, but you do a lot of Square podcasts, and uh, right, and uh, Square eventually acquired the company and they acquired Ogre Battle. Like they actually have the distribution rights on the Virtual Console, which I believe is how you played it, right, John? Yeah, yeah. So you did technically play a Square game. You're the only one in the room that played a Square game, but you did. <laughs> Uh, But, you know, it went to the Virtual Console, but otherwise Square sat out the Nintendo 64 completely. So I thought it would be interesting to look into this story. Uh, What is the deal there? So the story changes depending on who you ask. Right. Uh, so but, just to, just to dumb it down for it a down. little bit, Square is like, of course, a huge developer of many very substantial RPG franchises, yes. mainly Final Fantasy. But um, and now they are branded with Square Enix as well, so they do yeah, Dragon which is Quest, the of Dragon and pretty Quest. much pretty much all substantial RPGs are by Square. Yeah, I mean, That's like think I guess about there's a couple Bethesda ones. The but. giant hits they've made, like the Bouncer or Driving in Motion <laughs> Type S <laughs> or Bahamut Lagoon. Oh sure, got a uh, love that Einhander. one. <laughs> Yeah. Oh shit. I know. Guys. 
Yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to back that up. So go, <laughs> no, go ahead. Perfect. Uh, so I think it's safe to say, regardless of whose side you believe, the split between Nintendo and Square centered on Final Fantasy VII. So Square and Nintendo, they had a very fruitful partnership all throughout the 8 and the 16-bit eras. I mean, so much so that Nintendo trusted Square with their flagship property with Super Mario RPG, mm-hmm. which is exceptional. Uh, so when it came time for Square to bring... Uh, Not the, since the days of Philips CDI have they Phillips trusted CDI. it with another... That's the last developer. time they trusted anybody with anything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so when it came time for Square to bring uh, Final Fantasy to the 3D realm, it seemed like a partnership with Nintendo was kind of a no-brainer. And they actually released some early footage of what would eventually be Final Fantasy VII on the system. They used characters from Final Fantasy VI to kind of demo what it would look like. Yeah. And, I and, remember uh, that footage as a 16-year-old boy. Right, yeah. I was and so it, excited. It looked really cool. Like these stumpy little polygon characters. And he had a polygon lock. And he looked like a little chibi polygon lock. I was, I was so excited. And I was going to get... Uh, well, no, I was never going to get a, a Nintendo 64. I was going to get a Saturn. <laughs> but oh. <laughs> finding out that uh, that this was going to be on... PlayStation made me change my mind. And I think that was true for a lot of people. And uh, way, way, way back in our first episode, we were talking about how Nintendo 64 was kind of the the console that Final Fantasy VII killed. (laughs) And it's because the demand suddenly changed to these big, expansive, cinematic Japanese RPGs, and the Nintendo could not keep up with that. And so a lot of that split kind of started right here. So... uh, Square had been developing the game for a disc-based system since everyone believed that Nintendo and Sony were going to join forces to release what was the PlayStation. It was kind of a half-console, or uh, half-CD, half-cartridge system. Uh, But Nintendo canceled that partnership, uh, one of the disastrous business moves for them, and Sony struck off on their own to make the PlayStation. And then early in the development cycle of Final Fantasy VII, the developers at Square, they came to realize that uh, the game wasn't going to be able to keep up, or the N64 wasn't going to be able to keep up with the cinematic vision that they were developing for the game. So they parted ways. And some Square executives insist that the split was amicable, but others remembered very differently. Uh, One person said that Nintendo execs told the development team to never come back as they were leaving the office. And it's hard to say which version is true. I'm kind of inclined to believe the bad blood angle because I found an early print ad for Final Fantasy VII that was like casting direct shade on Nintendo because <laughs> it was an image of that big cannon in Final Fantasy VII. I forget the name of it. Yeah. It's in the city. Yeah. And, uh, and then they said the, the slogan in the ad is, uh, someone please get the guys who make cartridge games a cigarette and a blindfold. Oh. Ooh. <laughs> firing uh, squad. Of course, Final Fantasy VII went on to become a generation-defining hit. And as we mentioned way back in the first episode, it kind of killed interest in the N64. So... They the assist the developers would not work together again until Game Boy Advance, uh, and now like every Final Fantasy game comes out on every system, and its exclusivity isn't the big deal it used to be. Well, the uh, a mainline yeah. Final Fantasy has not been on a Nintendo's system, other than like the last uh, you know ports of four and five and six uh, showed up on GBA and DS, but uh, there hasn't been anything on switch although i think they're aren't they going to port some games over to switch now they are about to they just announced i think it's it's like 
seven, eight, and like Chocobo Racing or something, or like it's like two of the big heavy hitters, and then two of like the disposable PlayStation One era Final Fantasy spinoffs. Right. Uh, and those are coming to the Switch pretty soon, I believe. Where's the market for people buying Chocobo Racing for the Switch? I mean, <laughs> right here, baby. Okay. Yeah, I'm buying that thing. Are you okay. Me? Never mind. I'm not buying it. <laughs> I've never played it. I don't know if it's any good. Uh, so yeah, let's uh, let's talk about tactical RPGs. Why not? Yeah, we're that's here what for we're it. here for. Uh, so this subgenre usually appeals to I I would say it's fair to say this appeals to the more hardcore nerds out there. <laughs> and <laughs> the I don't hardest think, of core. I don't think people who are really into tactical RPGs would be upset by that title. Uh, <laughs> Because they have these really intense learning curves, uh, and they require like hundreds of hours sometimes of investment just to figure out some of the systems. Ton- yeah, tons of characters to get into, um, complicated stories, and just a lot of sort of tedium as a main part of the, a main aspect of the gameplay. A it's little like- bit, and it's if it appeals to you, you are in it a thousand percent. And if you don't get it, you don't get it, which is totally fine. And it's kind of why we chose to break format a little bit today. Usually, we just play the game for about an hour before we record and if we were to play this game for an hour before we recorded we would have gotten through maybe the opening cutscene you get about halfway through the first prologue yeah i think yeah it's there's no way to do this game any kind of justice in that short amount of time uh but all right let's talk about the origins of this subgenre i think obviously the roots are in tabletop gaming uh certain varieties of dungeons and dragons uh chess obviously and there was an early tabletop rpg called Chainmail that uh, featured a lot of mechanics that are still or warhammer would warhammer, also be a pretty yeah. applicable thing how long how old is warhammer warhammer is surprisingly old i feel oh. like warhammer is from the 80s maybe oh, yeah. maybe the early Definitely. maybe the late 80s but Definitely the 80s, because my brother, by the early 90s, was collecting tons of Warhammer figurines. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Um, And I'm 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 still kind of out of the loop with Warhammer. I don't really know. And originally, uh, stuff like Dungeons & Dragons was very miniature-based, although uh, Mm. now it's sort of optional if you want to go miniatures or not. Imagination-based now. Yeah, they used to make all the miniatures out of lead. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. rotated (laughs) out. Now it's pewter. Yeah. Uh... Let's see some. I mean, the direct line of, of games like this. Uh, you do have stuff like uh, uh, Fire Emblem, uh, which yeah, from the Famicom era, and that's one of the first like big big series to like really take off. But it, it appeared. I think the first game to have these kind of mechanics was a 1982 game called The Dragon and the Princess. And okay. then that same year, you had games like Tunnels of Doom and uh, Ultima 3 that both had kind of like tactical-based RPG battle systems. Right. Uh, so it took off in Japan right away, and it took a long time for it to catch on in America. I think one of the earliest uh, American titles was a game called War Song on the Genesis, which is part of the Langrisser series. Right. I have name rented I've heard, that. But, it oh, is have you? incomprehensible, but okay. it's pretty cool. Yeah. It was pretty yeah. cool. Sort of the far, I would say the line of this sort of tactical game is the farther you go back, the harder the game is to understand. Yeah. And that's sort of been the evolution of these tactical games is the newer ones just get more and more user-friendly. Definitely. Uh, except except the uh, Disgaea tactics route, I find. <laughs> Those are really confusing. Yeah, I played a little bit of Disgaea 3, I think, and I just did not get it. Uh but, I mean, some series were starting to take off. Noganaba's Ambition uh, and Romance of the Three Kingdoms, which is currently on its 13th entry. There have been 13 you of those You know games. these are nerdy games because just the titles are so bo- – just the titles put you to sleep. 
Well, oh, what, what's that? What's that game series? The Muso games. Uh, oh gosh, what are they called? The, Mus- you know the fi- those Musumani. Fi- uh, the the ones that are like um, uh, there's a Zelda version of it, and there's a Fire Emblem version of it. High Ru- and- High, the Warriors games, like yeah, Samurai Warriors, oh High yeah, Warriors. yeah, like Dynasty Warriors. Dynasty Di- Warriors. Yeah, Dynasty Roy- Warriors is a spinoff of Nobunga's. Nobunaga's ambition. I like Nobunga better. Nobunga. <laughs> Nobunga. That's how I, I read it as a kid because I like. That's how I used to say it too. Yeah, I want to bring that back. That was but those that are was all people uh, very anti Ninja Turtles. Yeah, exactly. And Koei was the one who created the uh, uh, Dragon and the Princess, so they were like grounded in this whole franchise. Well, he had so, one on the Sega CD. I think it came out in '92 called Dark Wizard. That was oh, uh, I don't know top that top. Yeah, it's, it was not very. Uh, Famous, but, okay. But stuff like Shining Force came out, and I loved that. Uh, that, but the, that's more of the Tactics Ogre series, which I thought that's what we were going to be playing because yeah. I mix up Ogre Battle and Tactics well, Ogre. So, it's the same series. Yeah, they just yes. kind of they just switch titles back and forth. Well, no, they, they, the, there's very Tactics Ogre plays just like um, Final Fantasy Tactics. Oh, oh, interesting. This is sort of a mash of more of a, like a real-time movement on the map combined with uh sort of sort of jrpg style combat except without direct control so okay. think of this as being like zoomed out from final fantasy tactics or tactics okay. or it's like you're controlling okay. you're controlling the army as opposed to sort of the specific members right. of the squad okay okay yeah see some of the like i've never played final fantasy tactics but that's kind of that was the flashpoint for this genre. Like that was a big, big hit when it came out in 1998. And then after that, uh, there were a lot of different franchises that were making their own version of like blank tactics. So there was like yeah. Suik- Suikoden tactics, Onimusha Cartoon tactics, tactics. <laughs> Prince of Persia tactics, Fallout tactics. They had a bunch of these. Kardashian tactics. Kardashian tactics. Yeah, absolutely. Use the uh, Rob attack. What does he do? He makes socks or something. I forget right. what he did. Oh, there's a cat on your end. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> cat cat people there's a got to be a cat tactics game right oh, i'm guessing this guy is probably a cat tactics game there's a there's lot of penguins there's, there's, like, there's penguins and there's like kind of cat looking elfish people yeah yeah and i mean fire emblem you mentioned that was a pretty early hit in japan but it took a long time for it to come here like yeah. nobody cared about fire emblem until smash brothers melee when uh marth and roy were characters in that and, and everyone's everybody's like, like who the hell are these who people are these guys <laughs> And so then uh, Fire Emblem games started getting ported over here. And I've played, like, six of those games. I love them. Like, I just get real into they, Fire Emblem. Fire Emblem hits a, a good sweet spot of scratching that tactical itch but still being quite intuitive in yeah. terms of its mechanics. And it's it's not super complicated. No. Um, I feel like this game uh, that we played today, Ogre Battle, was slightly more than I was able to deal with. It was a lot. It's a lot to parse through. It really uh, feels like a board game, this this game in particular. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, you've got the map, you've got the towns that uh you fortify. Like it does feel it just feels like a strategy board game, but it progresses I will I, I don't know if we'll get into that right away, but the way the battles progress is almost is real time. And uh, you're kind of issuing commands and giving directions to the units in a, and it's almost like an RTS, but the battles resolve in a JRPG battle format, which is yeah. really weird. This is a game that required me to adjust my expectations a lot. Uh, 
I don't know. There's something kind of unintuitive about going into a battle screen and you have no control over what's happening. Or you have very, very minimal control over what's happening. And right. even then, it's more the game takes it more as a polite suggestion than an order. You know, <laughs> like you can interrupt your commands and you can ask them to attack the strongest people, but they're going to do what they're going to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's essentially a game about preparation, right? Because most yeah. of the actual customization has to happen on the world map screen before you get into the battle maps. Which we literally and, just learned like maybe 20 minutes and ago. And so you need, that's where you have to do all of your equipping of items, your changing of classes, and sort of once you get into the battle, your main control is just kind of moving your units into their mo- units and see who wins. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had to Google how to equip items yeah. because it's not clear. You can't equip them on the battle map, right? You need to no. be in the overworld map. Yeah. Yeah. And that was what was throwing me off and I also didn't realize you had to save on that map. I couldn't tell if it was auto saving or what was going on. The so auto save is a new innovation. Steve. I know, I know. That's why I thought it was pretty impressive that they were doing it back then cuz uh but yeah, it it was not So I lost a lot of progress. The thing that I found, I think in the second or third battle, was you can bring more troops in. Oh, so you were just running around with one troop the whole time? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But we gained lots of XP, I guess. Yeah, Yeah, no, that's hardcore mode. So what what are you, I'm guessing you have some history of this franchise specifically, right, Steve? I do. Yeah, I have a little bit. This is that. the uh, this is the third game in the series. Uh, the first one we mentioned was Ogre Battle: March of the Black Queen. That was released in the Super Famicom in 1993. Eventually got ports to the Super NES and the PlayStation. Uh, the second game, the title switched over to Tactics Ogre: Let Us Cling Together. So it's like the same but slightly different. So why do why do these games have these games have such weird titles of March of the Black Queen and Let Us Cling Together? Because they were taken from Queen songs, the band Queen's titles. And that's something I never would have gotten in a million years because these are like deep cut Queen songs. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like a casual Queen fan at best. So what is Let Us Cling Together from? So that's from their album. Uh, that's from Day at the Races, 1976, uh, and it was put on there specifically as a tribute to their Japanese list, uh, fans because uh, at least two of the choruses in there are spoken in Japanese. Oh, and uh, they they just have a huge huge following over there. Yeah, and it's yeah it's very early Queen. It's very prog rock kind of sounding. It yeah. reminds me a lot of the band Rhapsody of Fire, which does really stupid speed metal with a heavy fantasy themes. Um, so it's, I still it's, have to check this out. It's pretty, yeah, I think you would really enjoy it. It's pretty silly. Um, and it, I don't know, it's kind of very fast-paced music with a very epic scope that doesn't quite match the pace of the game. No, but. not quite. And, like, both, there's a song called Ogre Battle and a song called March of the Black Queen, and they both appeared on Queen's second album, which is just called Queen 2. And, yeah, that was just before they became these full-blown arena rockers and they were trying for, like, a prog thing. And it, I think it's kind of rad, but, like, it's not... Don't listen to it if you're expecting Queen. Like, it, it huh. just doesn't really sound like them. But it's pretty rad. I mean, Ogre Battle 64 uh, bucked that trend, but I think we can all kind of agree the person of a lordly caliber would be a dope-ass Queen Yeah, I mean, it's like, surprising. Like, uh, for any era. I think also, I want to play uh, Ogre Battle Fat Bottom Girls. The only other... So I've played... Ogre Battle on the Super Nintendo for like maybe an hour or two when I rented it and got really confused and stopped. Yeah. <laughs> that one was a lot like this game. Yeah. I played Tactics Ogre. I've probably put five or six hours in, but I, uh, I'll, I'll get back to that for Square Roots because it seemed pretty interesting. Yeah, totally. And that got uh, that got a release uh, remake for the PSP, which is uh, supposed to be. Yeah, that's good. the one I was playing. Yeah, and it, it's 
gorgeous, but it's really, really gritty in terms of the detail. Like you have to, you have to really get into those systems. Yeah, and I mean that seems to be the running theme for this: is you just need a real willingness to be willing to equip all of your two hundred units with shields and going in one by one. Yes. And- all right, let's let's get a couple of the little details yeah. of the game here. So, Ogre Battle sixty four was released on October seventh, two thousand, developed by Quest corporation and published by atlas it is an n64 exclusive but it was eventually made available on the virtual console uh quest we talked about they they were founded in 1988 and they uh a lot of them jumped ship early on to go join square and they made games like vagrant story and final fantasy tactics which are both considered really like amazing uh tactical rpgs and then in 2002, Square just bought the whole company outright and uh, put them to work on their tactical RPGs. Allegedly, right now, they're working on a remake of the first uh, uh, Ogre Battle game. Okay. So I don't know what system that's going to be on, but they're working on it. Atlas, we discussed briefly on the Snowboard Kids episode, but uh, we might have sold them short because I think they're one of the weirdest and most unlikely success stories in gaming right now. Like, Because most of their output is just like... American translations of uh, American and Canadian, North American. <laughs> I don't want to leave out Canadian. English. Uh, yeah, they, they do English translations of really obscure Japanese games. Uh, and they found some major crossover success with titles like Guilty Gear, uh, Shin Megami Tensei, Persona, and uh, of course, Dark Souls is the hugest mm. thing they have going on right now. Have you ever met, like, they, there's like a zillion Guilty Gear, gear, gear Guilty Gear, guilty gear games. Batter. But I have never met someone who is actually into Guilty Gear. I've never played it. Yeah, I have no idea. I don't know who keeps buying them. Yes, it's a fighting series. There's like one every year, it seems like. But again, like if you're if you're a collector at all, keep an eye out on Atlas games because uh, on any given system, if there's an Atlas game, they tend to be amongst the rare the rarest games in the system. Ogre Battle is definitely one of them. Uh, look at like Cubivore on GameCube, very hard to find. Dokapon Kingdom, My World, My Way, those are both on Nintendo DS. Uh, Rule of Rose on PS2 is the most valuable oh, game on I, that. I really want it. I should have bought that when it came out because I wanted it. But my friends were like, oh, don't buy that. That looks stupid. Well, maybe that's the, that's the recurring Atlas theme just based on those titles that you just read me. Yeah. Because yeah. they don't do a great job marketing these things. Not necessarily. I probably would not buy a game called Cubivore. Well, oh, yeah. yeah. I hear Cubivore is great. But. My friend bought Hunting Ground and Rule of Rose and sort of all. I love survival horror games, even if mm. they. I, well, especially older because bad. I can handle bad graphic gore, but good graphic <laughs> gore gets me a little creeped out uh anyway oh yeah 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 so i i, I could go on a rule of rose tangent. rule of rose I'm really also bitter. sounds <laughs> very much like the title of that uh comic that weekly comics sunday comic strip rose, oh, is rose right. which would be i'm guessing it's different than that i'm guessing rule, it's not rule, based on that rule of rose is rose yeah yes. exactly it's the most obscure think... mashup you could come up with <laughs> i don't think uh rose's rose's grandfather was trying to both have sex with and murder her <laughs> that, that 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 was the pre-edited subtext. canon the editor's like uh i don't know about this that's definitely the plot of baby blues but yeah. i don't know about rose's rose yeah <laughs> the duplex uh, so okay so technically this is the third game in the series but it's uh the sixth chapter of what they're calling the ogre battle saga which i think has to be a nod to star wars there's lots of little star wars references scattered throughout the games like, starting uh, in the middle yeah exactly yeah. so your main character in this is a guy named magnus gallant uh who's uh, estranged from his brother you can magnus change Goofus. his first yeah <laughs> you can change his first name but his last name always stays as gallant yeah so i i I changed his name, and he was Woody Gallant, and I'm like, I don't like that name. <laughs> that does not sound good. 
So he, he's a soldier for the Palatinian army. And uh, in the beginning, you graduate from uh, uh, military school and you, you're asked to go fill in the blanks like for the sacred oath. Like they're asking you to say like, oh, what do you pledge to? And however your answer is going to determine what items you start with. So I promise to offer the gods lust. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I don't right. Because I don't know what that means. And I said I would eliminate honor from the world. Whoa. <laughs> they gave me just like this big spiked dildo with a shield on the end of it. So I think that's probably why. Uh, no. So as the game opens, you're, you're given your first command over a platoon of knights and you're tasked with liberating the southern reaches. And you meet some other characters like Hugo the tactician and uh, Dio, who's like a hot-headed rival commander. He's a rainbow in the dark. He's, he's a holy diver. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> holy diver! <laughs> uh, so you're asked to dispatch uh, a couple of bandit groups, but then you come to learn that these aren't bandits, these are revolutionaries, and <clears throat> they're intent on starving, starting a civil war against the spoiled and horrible aristocracy of your side. And so Magnus comes to sympathize with the insurgents in their campaign against the upper-class elites. Uh, I, I don't know about you guys. I really got caught up in the story. Like, I, I really got drawn into it. There's, um, I think there's something about this type of game that really makes you empathize with your characters. Mm-hmm. Kind of like in Fire Emblem, you know, if your characters die, it's permanent death. Yeah. You know, they don't come back. So you get wrapped up in them. And sometimes you lose your favorite character and you'll just restart the whole battle or you'll have to do the risk and reward thing and, and decide if you want to go on without them. You can even change their names too. So I just, I, I, changed, <laughs> I changed your character's name to Steve. So, oh, so good. So well, you weren't looking. So oh, cool. um, when he, when she dies, um, <laughs> she you're, dies. you're in for a surprise. <laughs> yeah. Like Steve. I changed uh, mine to, str- what's his last name again? Gallant. Gallant. I was strunk. Gallant. Strong Gallant. Nice. Yeah. And uh, there's, I, I did like the sort of very, there's a similar opening to Final Fantasy Tactics of these two friends who, uh, the, the, your main character has to leave to go to, to school and he's besties with the prince. Yeah. Who, uh, but you've kind of, you aren't super good friends anymore. Like you haven't seen him in years and you seem to be kind of weird because one of the, first missions is to go rescue him right he there's a plot to assassinate the prince yeah and and it's still i don't know how far you got john but when i was still playing i was about i don't know five hours into my playthrough and the drama between those two are still it's still kind of unfolding like something happened to them and now they're not super good friends anymore but they're rebuilding that relationship yeah I got to the fourth or fifth battle i think okay and yeah and one thing worth noting is you know this is the era of Final Fantasy VII, but this game doesn't really have those big cutscenes. No, it's, it's all just told through non-spoken dialogue. Um, a lot of characters getting word bubbles and s- s- visually saying dot dot dot, yeah. <laughs> which was one of my favorite tropes of old RPGs. Yeah, yeah. Um, but unlike you- something like Tactics or Final Fantasy VII, this one has a well-written translation. Atlas did a really good job with the localization. And I think they're kind of known for that, too. Like, they translate yeah. some really difficult stuff. I played uh, Catherine for the like, PS3, which is something they did. It's, like, all dialogue with some weird puzzles. And they did a really good job translating that one. I mean, and the the music in this game, I think, is really gorgeous, too. But it does get a little repetitive. Like, I wish there was more so they didn't have to keep looping back on it so much. I guess I feel like this game falls into the trap of just feeling pretty generic to me in terms of, like, we're in a fantasy RPG realm that doesn't have sort of the weird sort of mecha magic themes of, like, a lot of the Final Fantasy games where it's Mm. half sort of sci-fi, half fantasy. It's just kind of like, 
you know, colorful guys with swords and spears and dragons. Um, and then the music is nice, but it just kind of sounds generic yeah. or fantasy orchestral. And yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I don't know. And none of the characters really stick with me in terms of their names or anything like that. I mean, at this point, I yeah, I stick with Magnus, I stick with Dio, and mm-hmm. uh, they introduced Leia, who's kind of like a... Uh, I don't really know what her class is. Yeah, she's is, named Steve now. Her name's Steve. Yeah, that's right. Steve. <laughs> I, Steve. I fixed that. <laughs> and Leia comes with a, a cadre of, like, I think they're called Valkyries, or they're spear-wielding the yeah. women. Yeah. With wings, uh, yeah. It was pretty cool. I, I, I thought that was neat. And also, in my... Uh, in Strong's party, I had a... Just one of the random... Sold, you know, fighters that comes along with you. You have some named characters, and you have some generic ones who you can name. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, one of them just... Oh no, they all have. I think they all do come with randomly generated names. Yes. And uh, one died and came back as a zombie, and I thought that, that was happened quite to me interesting. too. Yes. Yeah, that so happened to me too. The mechanic with the name is essentially you have your general, your main characters, you know, Magnus and. Um, Dio, uh-huh. and then you have randomly named characters um, who have special powers and lead a unit, and then you just have generic sort of soldiers with right, various yeah. classes, and you can recruit more of those soldiers and then give them names and then change their class to be more specialized as they level up. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's where you would really get into the sort of depth and um, you know the real gameplay of this, of you know constantly leveling up your soldiers and changing them to different classes. But as you would expect, it takes a long time mm. for them to get the amount of experience, and they need certain. Looks like they need certain amounts of equipment to level up. Like you can't turn them into a wizard unless you have like a robe and a cane and a huh. spell book, and so That's you need to have all of that. And so it's a lot to keep track of. This game has a really intimidating like organization screen you like bring it up and you're like let me look at my army and there's like all these checkerboards of your army and it's all very small the units are just not zoomed in and it's really hard to select the specific one you want the lowest level units are the 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 new recruits are three Mm -hmm. recruits at once and i guess once you level them up they become individual units right yeah 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 they, they become like from three little guys of spears to one knight with a sword yeah. <laughs> like so i just imagine they're kind of in there like vincent adult men or something like, they're all <laughs> sitting on each other's shoulders but uh i don't know there's i think you've probably kind of gleaned already from our conversation so far but there is a learning curve to this game it is a um, this takes some serious serious investment if you want to get into it uh and like I said, you have to adjust your expectations about pacing and rhythm. Like, it's very slow, uh, deliberately so. Like, it's very slow. And a lot of time is spent kind of watching your soldiers move very slowly across a battlefield. <laughs> like, moving from one dot to another. And they do have to sleep and, have, you know, take uh, breaks. And yeah. you can go to towns and then talk to people in towns and buy things. And uh, you don't actually have to. You can just skip straight ahead to the... Your, each map has an objective. And mm-hmm. so you, you can just point your squads towards that obje- objective and ignore liberating towns or fighting other units. But I think that I'm going to guess in the long run is a bad way to go. Well, yeah, I mean, the thing with all these games is you sort of need to squeak all the experience points you can out of each fight. Because as it yeah. starts getting harder by the end, if you just rush to the end and get in the experience, you're just going to get destroyed. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of early grinding in games like this. Like, uh, you know, I, I think... Final Fantasy Twelve. when I played that, I stayed in that desert for, like, a good six, seven hours, just, like, running around, like, killing things until I was strong oh, enough to move on. You gotta go to the Skeleton Bridge. The Skeleton Bridge is better? Okay. Yeah. I'm yeah. gonna replay it with the Zodiac Age at some point, because oh, I don't think I ever Zod- actually finished it. The Zodiac Age makes the game 
because I, I liked it, but I never finished it. Uh-huh. Zodiac Age is great. Like it is the best remaster of any game I've ever played. Really? Okay. Yeah, it, That's it a makes ringing the, endorsement. The, <laughs> speeding up the combat makes the game so much more fun. Uh huh. Yeah. Like you can just put it into times four mode, and uh, yeah, it, that that alone makes the game just way more playable. And also, like, conti- you can continue from like when you load it into a new screen instead of going back to save games, which makes it a lot easier. Okay. Um, and you can develop characters in whatever way you like instead of having uh, strict paths per character, which is good. Oh, so you have a little more... So kind of like the uh, with the Final Fantasy X system with the orange yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. A lot more like that for the license board. And uh, one thing I like is they took the... Since it's a Matsuno game, they took the Matsuno art style from o- the the ogre games mm-hmm. into the menus like there's some screens where you see like a little final fantasy 12 version of all the characters in that matsuno super nintendo style i thought oh, that was wow. really neat yeah oh that's awesome all right i'm gonna have to i'm, I'm gonna have to prioritize this i keep <laughs> putting that one off i'll have to get on that but i mean i think that's something we could say about ogre battle as well is that there's it, it speeds up a little bit with a few modifications you can choose to cut the battle animations which just means everybody's standing still, and it's like damage, 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 damage. You know, so it, it doesn't look terribly exciting, but it moves faster. Well, I mean, to be clear, the, even with the battle animations, it doesn't look terribly exciting. No, the, no, the no. character kind of just runs up and slaps the other character with the sword, and then slowly backs up. It's true, yes. and that's that's just something you have to get used to. You do not control your characters during these fights. The closest thing you have to control is what's called interruption commands. Uh, and this is a complicated system. Okay, so at any point you can press a button and it'll interrupt your commands. So if you press it early on, you only have one option, and that's to target your troops a little bit. You can say hit the strongest person, hit the weakest person, or hit the leader. Uh, and even then, like we said, they take this kind of as suggestions. Sometimes they can't get to the leader because he's blocked behind people, so they'll just attack whoever. Sometimes they're not clear on who the weakest one is, or maybe two people are equally powered. So you don't get a lot of precision on that. If you let the meter charge up a little bit more, then you can hit the interrupt command and you can retreat. And if you let it charge up all the way, you can use a magical attack. But the, oh. the, round, the rounds don't last long enough for you to get to that magical attack. Like, never hmm. once was I able to fill up the meter that I much. mean, I think that Magnus is the only character who can use that, at least at the start. I'm not sure. And but, maybe that but, is something that's going to come in, like, naturally as with the game progresses. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm sure uh, it is. I, I mean, I got the impression, like, you choose an element at the beginning that you want to control, mm-hmm. and then I think you can find the other, you know, you can find Earth, Wind, and Fire in the month of September. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's good. One thing I found really interesting <laughs> in this game is when you kill, when you fight, you don't kill the opponents right away. Like, you go back to the map, and you're both kind of wounded, and maybe one member of your party or their party is dead. And it says you've won or lost the battle, depending on how much damage you've done to each other. Yeah. That's, I mean, yeah, that's, again, adjusting your expectations. If you're used to playing Final Fantasy games where, like, the battle doesn't end until somebody's dead. (laughs) Yeah. uh, you know, so that's not going to happen here. It's just going to, you're going to keep chipping at each other until they're gone. And you can chase people around the map and murder them. You can. But you'll notice something happens in this game when you do that. Your alignment goes down, right? Yes. You, oh, there okay, are that's... consequences to being a murderer in this game. I know in Ogre Battle for the Super Nintendo, the more enemies you killed, the worse ending you got. Oh. Huh. Interesting. Okay. I, there are like six or seven different endings to this game. Uh, 
So if you want to play through this game like a hundred hours, I hate, I hate times. that when they yeah. have like a super long game and they're like, "You got the bad ending. Better start your eighty-hour game over again." Oh, I hate that. Yeah, that's miserable to me. Your alignment so, goes up for killing monsters like zombies and uh-huh. and uh, spookums, oh, or like just head-on okay. uh, and like fights, right? Like if you're yeah. just facing each other. I didn't get that. But like you okay. But I think you do get a tactical advantage. Like say if if you move in on somebody and they're facing away from you and you attack, you'll do more damage to them. Yeah, but your alignment will go down. Is that what you're saying? Uh, I don't know about that. I know just murdering people. The more people you kill, usually the, the alignment goes down. And that can unlock different abilities, I think. And also you can attack people while they're sleeping. <laughs> oh, wow. Hanging out in their camp tents. Yes. And so, and that, what you were saying, that kind of determines whether you're just, like, liberating I a city or that, occupying. I believe that the city, depending on your alignment and when you actually get into an enemy city, it will say, like, you've liberated this city or, you know, you've taken over the city, something like that. Um, and then I think they'll even respond. The occupants will respond to you differently depending okay. on whether you're good or evil or how they see you. Yeah. But, and yeah, every, every village you come to, you can like enter it and you can talk to people like just two or three lines of dialogue. You can't really walk around in the village. Or no, anything. you can't just... explore, but sometimes they'll have shops and you can buy stuff. And, uh, sometimes they'll just like talk to you and you can use items when you're in strongholds, uh, oh, yeah. but you can't equip items. So this game basically takes you from story scene to story scene in between fights, and sometimes in the middle of fights, but uh, there's no walking around a world. It's not a JRPG like that. You aren't walking from town to town and getting into random encounters. There's scenarios. There's different maps that you work through. You just select the point you want to go to, and then... Yeah. Yeah. I don't think think you have to go back... Like, there seems to be some things, like, I went back to rescue the prince... And I had some interesting cutscenes with him and the uh, the. Uh, it was just random characters I sent to rescue him, and he was asking about wanting to see me or mm. see uh, Magnus or whatever his name is. Uh, so there's some. It looks like you can kind of mess around with different scenes depending on what characters meet who on the battlefield too. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 it kind of, it's variable, and you can just, like, discover items just walking around sometimes. Yeah, I think this game is a lot like Fire Emblem. Like, most of these comparisons are all things that you can do in Fire Emblem. Mm-hmm. I would just think of it more as the sort of zoomed-out version of Fire Emblem, right? Like, Fire Emblem, you have these individual units that you get attached to, whereas in this game, you sort of have, you're commanding this giant army. Right. And it's sort of at a grander scale, but I don't think that the mechanics are nearly as clear and well thought out as Fire Emblem. It's, Maybe they're well thought out, they're just not clear. It's clunky. I think there's no real way to escape it. Like it's yeah. it's an incredibly clunky system that's going to take you a long time to navigate. I looked up the manual online. It's sixty-seven something pages long. Uh, yeah, I, I was reading through it because when you buy it on the Wii U. Uh-huh. Uh, you get the digitized manual with it, and I was like trying to figure out how to equip items and things, and using that, but I had to Google it in the end. Yeah, that's Google is what. Unfortunately, Google has replaced manuals in terms of being useful. Yeah, manuals are not very clearly organized a lot of the time. And it's it's if you're going into this game blind, even if you're doing the tutorial, which I, I tried to spend some time on, uh, it does not get much more clear because that tutorial is really really long. And very dense, and it's not very clear when they're giving you controls of everything. But, I mean, but everything from, like, you can't just, like, move your guy. You have to select the guy, select command, select move, choose whether you want to move to a unit, a stronghold, or a location. Select the location you're going to. Tap A again. 
and it, so it just keeps going on and on like that. It, it's it's a lot to get used to. I mean, one thing that I think is worth noting is that if you if you had an N64 at this time, and that was the system that you had, and, and you enjoy this kind of game, mm-hmm. um, this is going to be your only choice. This is because it. Yeah. you don't want to play Quest 64. No, and it's a, it's really a different kind of game. It um, is. Yeah, there's literally but, nothing else like this on the system at all. Yeah, nothing. nothing and so I feel like you'd be much more willing to put in those time to learn those mechanics. Yeah. But I feel like now, you know, with there's a lot of great tactical RPGs out there and a lot of integration of these sort of tactics things into other kinds of games, like the XCOM games. XCOM are, um, exceptional. are, are yeah. awesome. And I, the Banner Saga looks really cool. I haven't played those, but it has sort of a much cleaner art style that just seems very user-friendly. Valkyria Chronicles um, is a really good one to check out. Oh, yeah. yeah. And yeah, so the point yeah. is, yeah. there's a lot out there, and I feel like they've really put the emphasis on being cleaner and more user-friendly. So this is kind of a tough, toughish game to go back to. Whereas I, think, I feel uh, like I might have been really into it if, oh, you yeah. know, at, at the time, if this was what I yeah. had. I do think Valkyria Chronicles is a really great comparison because the way way this game is paced and the way the story breaks out is very similar. Although Valkyria Chronicles is like uh, like what he was saying, zoomed like a zoomed-in version. And this right. is a zoomed-out game. Yeah, so this is more like if you were the kid growing up playing Risk, this is going to yeah. be all about it. But if you're more like I was an action figure kid, then, you know... That's you're, a good analogy. Yeah, and it's this is one of those games where... If you buy in, like if you really commit and decide that you're going to go all in in this, then you're along for the ride and you're willing to overlook a lot of these little flaws because eventually these flaws just become part of the system that you've really come to embrace. And I was kind of getting to that point. Like I'm still like, like I said, I'm about six hours in and I want to keep playing. I do want to see where it goes. I don't know if I'm going to go a full 80 hour run Mm -hmm. on this, but I do want to keep playing uh, because... I've committed and I've I've started learning some of these things and if I don't put them to use in this game I will <laughs> they're they're going to be they're worthless just burning up brain cells for no good reason yeah I know and you need you know? those brain cells to memorize actors in various slasher movies it's true who else is going to do that <laughs> IMDb nonsense yeah I was so. listening to a podcast today which had uh, about Garfield's uh, Halloween adventure which oh I have um, not, what a cartoon I have not seen since maybe ninety one. Yeah. And they played a song, and I could sing along with it. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. We were talking last week about uh, Earthworm Jim and how I, I still know all the words to the theme song to that show that only lasted 23 episodes. So it's weird the kind of shit we store away sometimes. Yeah. I can say the Kano fatality where he pulls out the skeleton through the mouth. That's the, oh. <laughs> that's the one that stays in my head. Hold block, forward, down, down, release, forward, release block. <laughs> so I've got a question for you, too. Yeah. How so? You, how many games have you played so far? Uh, this would be number eighty-seven. Holy crap! Over fifty-two episodes. So, yeah. Should we uh, move? Sorry, go ahead. Which I just just out of my own personal curiosity, what are your personal favorites? Well, this might be an excellent time. Yeah, to we can transfer move on to into our... Our, our ratings and go over some of our top ones so far. Absolutely. Let me open up the list here. So, so uh, you, you guys are ranking it? Sorry. Yeah. I, I, no, it's okay. Oh, that's Clearly cool. you're a big fan. <laughs> oh, jeez. I'm sorry. <laughs> the, 
No, we uh, yeah. Each Cut week we <laughs> added to the we <laughs> added to the list. Put in the put in. Here we'll do a, a teaser at the end where you're like, Ultra sixty four is my favorite podcast, and then we'll just put that in at this part. That's okay. Woody doesn't listen to it either, so it's all good. Uh, all right, I so listen to it. I just feel weird about it. I feel very like self indulgent. I was cooking, listening to my own voice, and I'm like, what is wrong with me? <laughs> Do you do that, John? I don't know. I, I do that, and it doesn't even seem weird to me anymore. I'm just like, I, I like listening to me. I listen to the episodes to make sure they're good, like that they've been edited and there's no weirdness, like yeah. coughing and stuff I cut out. I we I, I pointed this out on Twitter. This is off track, but I pointed this out on Twitter. Like, at least once an episode, we have some kind of weird scrambling noise, and I don't know how to stop it or identify it or do anything about it. So uh, some people on Twitter suggested we just turn it into a drinking game. So I think what every time... What is the scrambling noise? It just sounds like... It's like for one or two now seconds. Now we're going to have two this episode, Steve. Yeah, it's just it's just one or two seconds where it becomes real high-pitched and real cramped. And I don't know how to isolate it or figure it out. So it's a whole thing. But uh, that's a drinking game. I weird audio noise from my computer was too old. <laughs> and. Oh. When I switched to a newer computer, uh, I, I it didn't make any weird noises in renders anymore. That could be it. my computer's like ten years old now, so yeah. it's probably that. That that was what did it for me. All right, definitely you should buy a thousand dollar to computer to make a higher quality free podcast you do for free. I I mean you're joking, you but I want to. <laughs> like you can get a, a five hundred dollar laptop. Anything with like an i five and an SSD would be perfect, and okay. you can get that for five hundred bucks. I'm into it. All right, let's move on to our rankings. Uh, (laughs) We got way way sidetracked. So uh, currently, my top five on here are uh, Banjo-Kazooie, Tony Hawk's Mm. Pro Skater 1, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2, Pokemon Snap, and Star Fox 64. Woody's Mm -hmm. top five are Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2, Mortal Kombat Trilogy, Banjo-Kazooie, Star Fox 64, and Mortal Kombat 4. Woody's a big Mortal Kombat head. Um, Yeah, and bear in mind, these are only the games that we've played so far. Uh, let's say yeah. bottom three for each of us. My bottom three games are Vigilante 8, Second Offense. Oh, no. I love, well, I love the P- PlayStation 1. They do not hold up. <laughs> Maybe uh, the PlayStation 1 is fine, but we're doing the Ultra 64 podcast here. <laughs> Second from the bottom one is Transformers Beast Wars Transmetals. And uh, my very bottom one is a game called Dual Heroes, which no one's heard about for good reason. No. Woody's, Woody's bottom three are Super Bowling. Rugrats, mm-hmm. Scavenger Hunt, and Transformers: Beast Wars Transmetals, which literally made us sick. Yeah. Um, <laughs> have you have you played Beetle Adventure Racing? We're yet? getting to that pretty soon. Yeah, that game. I love that. A game. lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Uh, all right, so I'm gonna rank this game. Oh boy, <laughs> this is a tough call because it's one that I. It's fascinating. It's very unique. Uh, it's addictive once you kind of decide you're going to stick to it and learn the mechanics it is heavily flawed and there are better options that are available now so it's hard to recommend going back to this one now i still think i'm going to rank this as number 10 nice uh i think i think this deserves a nice high spot that's between mario tennis and uh two rock dinosaur hunter so i think i think that's a worthwhile spot i think on sheer novelty on sheer quality i think it really stands up uh you might need a PhD to play it, <laughs> uh, but I think you'll you'll really. It's very rewarding once you do start to get into it. Once you feel like you've you feel like you're accomplishing something when you're playing this game. Um, yeah, I, you know, as I've gotten older, these used to be my favorite kind of games, and mm-hmm. I would just really dive into them. But I find it much harder to get into this sort of game now, and I just more and more want to play something like 
that's quick and exciting, like Enter the Gungeon or something like that. Yeah. Um, and so these games are tougher for me. Um, I do agree that this is a high-quality game. It's really cool to see it on the N64. Yeah. It definitely scratches an itch that is there. Um, I'm going to put it at number 19, okay. which is right ahead of Gauntlet Legends and below Snowboard Kids. Um, I definitely think that there's a lot of game here. Um and I could see getting into it, but there's a lot of tactical games I would rather play. That's fair. And uh, as is tradition with our guests, you have uh, one and only game on this list so far. So this is both your favorite and least favorite game. Congratulations. Oh, but what about what about Blastcore? Ooh, that I'm excited to play Blastcore. Blast I've never ever, played it. Oh my gosh, the, yeah. you are in for a treat. People my keep telling me about that it one. Is a I, delight. I'm, I'm excited to get into it. Perfect Dark. Perfect oh, Dark. Perfect so Dark many favorites. Good. Perfect Dark is good. Yeah, there there are good games for the Nintendo sixty four. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Resident Evil that, two. That's going to be the takeaway from this. It turns out there were no good games from the system. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Sorry for wasting your time. Everyone. Your childhoods Oops. were all a lie. Uh, so that is the show for this week. Uh, we want to thank our guest John Brandon so much. Thank you for thank taking you, the time sir. to join us and talk about this nerdy ass game. What What are you guys playing through on Square Roots right now? Tell us about your podcast a little bit. Oh, on on my podcast, which is a game club where we play through a whole game over a few episodes, uh, we are in the midst of Rogue Galaxy, a level five production. Mm. It's uh, more of an obscure one, maybe, for some people, but uh, the PS2 game has a PS4 port, so it's still playable now, and... uh, I love and hate it. <laughs> you love and hate it. Okay. Well, great. It sounds like um, you, your podcast definitely, if you enjoy talking or getting very deep in to some very yeah. deep games, that would be the podcast for you. Yeah. I, I just yeah. listened to their whole uh, Final Fantasy VI series. That's one of my very yeah, favorite games ever. Game. Uh, and y'all did a really great job with that. It was a lot of fun to listen to. And uh, you guys have like a Patreon, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You can. <laughs> If you feel like it, we're, uh, yeah, more to come about that soon. Uh, we might Ooh. do some renovations on our Patreon and change Excellent. some stuff up. But, yep. But in the meantime, if you want to throw them some support, go check out their Patreon and go download their podcast because it really is just so much fun. Well, thank you. Well, thank you so much for being here. And, uh, what are we playing next week? Oh, next week, just in time to be late for Halloween, we are playing. The just aforementioned Resident Evil 2. Wonderful. Ooh. Sounds spooktastic. And spooktacular. And what about scary Shadow big. Man? Shadow Man. <laughs> yeah. That, that I just caught in... some grief for Shadow Man recently because I put it on a poll of like uh, games that people would want to listen to or listen to us talk about. And uh, got, no, one, no, got one vote. Didn't got it? one vote. Got okay. one vote. It was from Shadow Man himself. <laughs> it was He's like, yeah, you guys got to play my game. Shadow Man. <laughs> Somebody remember my game. That game's great. I don't care what y'all say. Did, uh, did Soul Reaver come out on N64? It I... never did. That would have no, been a good fit. No, it came out on Dreamcast. That's right. That would have been a good fit. I liked Soul Reaver. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I'll stop talking now. No, you're good. Right. You're good. Uh, thank you so much, everybody. Tune in next week for Resident Evil 2. And in the meantime, march on, you crazy ogres. Roar. Come to the ogre battle. <laughs> That was my Freddie Mercury. You nailed it. You nailed it. It looks like your party's been canceled. (laughs) I can't remember how that line goes from from two when you get into your your welcoming party. (laughs) I'll take your word for it. You'll find out.
Direction. 